Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 11. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The Old Testament is divided into four major sections. And uh, let's go over them together. The four major sections, and this is where you participate, saints. You get to call out, like, school, class. Four major sections, what are they? They are the law, history, poetry, and prophecy. And the law books are what? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the history books are what? Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And the poetry books of the Old Testament are... Job, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And the prophetic books of the Old Testament are many. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, or Malachi, if you're Italian. Malachi. And the prophetic books, uh, if you're taking notes, you write this down. The prophetic books are actually divided into two sections. The prophetic books are divided into two sections. You have the major prophets and the minor prophets. Very good. And the major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And the 12 minor prophets are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Go ahead and repeat those after me. Repeat them with me. So we've been in the book of Nehemiah, and that is in which section? Historical category. Very good. And the name Nehemiah means, anybody know? The Lord comforts, very good. Anybody know who the shortest man in the Bible was? Nehemiah. If you've been with us, <laughs> I got one more for y'all tonight, so I'm just preparing you right now, okay? If you've been with us in our study in Nehemiah, you know at this point the walls have been rebuilt and great things are happening. Ezra stood up to read the word of God in chapter 8, were you with me? And many... Um, of them, this is the, probably the first time that many of them are hearing the word of God because they have been in captivity. And after hearing the word, it brought conviction and repentance. Uh, chapter 9, 
is really a long prayer acknowledging God's righteousness and allowing them to be carried away into Babylonian captivity. And just by show of hands, were you with me last week? Show of hands. All right. Uh, last week we were in chapter 10. And uh, the people, remember, they entered a covenant. And remember I told you in the ancient world, a covenant was cut, not made. They cut covenant. Remember we talked about that? Because they usually, because, you know, making a covenant or cutting the covenant usually involved cutting an animal while making the covenant. Uh, Last week, the people cut covenant with God in three areas in chapter 10. They said, God, we covenant to right living. We will live separated, holy lives. We make a vow or we make a covenant to have right relationships. They said we make a covenant that we won't intermarry with heathens. And they vowed to rest right and to observe the Sabbath. They made a vow to right relationships, remember? We won't neglect the house of God and we'll give financially to with the first fruits of our grain and our barley and our sheep and our tithe. And we talked about that last week about making a covenant. Are you listening? We talked about that last week, making a covenant and making a vow. And it was Jesus who said in Matthew chapter five, uh, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And, and you don't need to make a vow. You don't have to make a vow. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. My goodness, if we have more people in the world, would just let their yes be yes and their no be no. But because people don't let their yes be yes and their no be no, now you've got to sign documents this thick just to buy a bicycle. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just terrible nowadays because people lie and they break their covenant and they break their promise. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And then the Bible was clear. If you make a vow to God, then you ought to keep it. Numbers 30, verse 2 If a man makes a vow to the Lord, he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So if you make a vow, you ought to keep it. It's as simple as that. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Ecclesiastes 5.4 tells us when you make a vow to God, don't delay to pay it. But I'm so thankful that our blessings and our acceptance is not based on the vow we make or even the vow we break. But our acceptance is according to the completed work of Jesus on the cross. Anybody glad about that? And we talked about that last week and the people were excited and the walls are built and the gates are hung and there's excitement in the air. And although the city of Jerusalem, uh, the, the walls around the city are built and the gates are hung, the actual city of Jerusalem is a ghost town. A ghost town? Yeah. I've titled this sermon, Recruiting in Jerusalem, Nehemiah chapter 11, saints. We'll talk about this ghost town. Nehemiah chapter 11, we pick up in verse 1. If you're looking at verse 1, say amen. Amen. Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. And the rest of the people, underline this, cast lots to bring one out of ten. One out of ten, cast lots, underline that, to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine-tenths who were to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men who willingly, circle that, offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. These are the heads of the providence who dwelt in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah, everyone dwelt in his own possessions in their cities, Israelites, priests, 
Levites, Nethinims, and descendants of Solomon's servants. Also in Jerusalem dwelt some of the children of Judah and of the children of Benjamin, the children of Judah, Athenai, the son of Uzziah, the son of Zechariah, the son of Amariah, the son of that guy, the son of Mahaliel, of the children of Perez, and Messiah, the son of Baruch, the son of Kohan, the son of, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and you just can go ahead and tackle those names on your own if you like. I'm going to get you to stop right there and give me your attention if you will. At this point, the walls are built around the city and the gates are hung, as I told you. But there's only one problem. As I mentioned, Jerusalem is a ghost town. The rulers are the only ones living in the city. The common everyday people wanted to live in the country. And keep in mind, the city was not like downtown Raleigh, where it was nice and clean. The city hadn't been attractive or an attractive place to live for a really long time. Remember, they hadn't lived in the city for now hundreds of years. And so uh, there's rubble and there's ruin everywhere. And although the walls are built and the gate is, gates are hung, um, the city is not quite a nice place to live. I don't know why, but I thought of this. I hadn't thought of this in so many years now. Y'all remember, did y'all, or do you remember when you used to do, uh, this is the church, this is the steeple. Okay, do it with me then. Come on. This is the church. Come on, do it with me, y'all. What's wrong with you? This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the door, and here are the people. Remember, did y'all used to do that? Nobody? Tell me if you never did that before. If you never did that before. You never did. You, Trina, you never did that before. All right, for those, anybody over here never did it before? All right. All right, for those of you who never did it before, come on, I'm going to teach you right now. Come on. Come on, put your fingers back like this. Come on. This is a church. This is the steeple. Open the doors. Oh, open the doors. Oh, this is a church. Hold on. Wait a Wait a I'm going to get this right. This is a church. This is the steeple. Open. Is this the steeple? Okay. All right, do it right. All right. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the door. And here are the people. You got it? All right, new people. Do it. You got to turn. Yeah, but y'all get the point. Okay. Come on, new people. Let's one more time. This is a church. This is the steeple. Open the door, and here are the people. What'd you learn at church? Hmm? Oh, you have to turn it out like that? Okay, do it again. All right, ready? This is a church. This is a steeple. Open the door, and here are the people. Like that? All right, y'all give me a hand, would you? Thank you. So I was thinking about that, <laughs> but for Jerusalem at this time, it might read like, you know, here are the walls, you know, here is the city, open the gates, what a pity. I worked on that a long time. So as the people returned from the Babylonian captivity, they felt safe and they felt happier to live in the small towns and the villages and the hamlets. So now Nehemiah has to 
take the leadership again, because if Jerusalem's going to prosper, the city needs to be economically viable. And for that to happen, they needed people to live in the city, basic economics. Now, chapter 10, if you were with us, you know that they took a tithe of the increase. And now they're taking a tithe of the population to live in Jerusalem. Now, in order to repopulate the city, they use an ancient system of trusting God called casting lots. Casting lots. Casting lots was a common way to know the divine will of God. We might want to write this down. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33 tells us the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The lots were cast, but every decision is from the Lord. Lots were cast in the Bible to determine many things. Lots were cast to determine which animal was to be sacrificed, Leviticus 16, 8. Lots were cast to determine land to be given to whom ever God was giving it to. I think of Israel, uh, the children of Israel, when they conquered the land, it had hills and valleys and deserts and mountains and streams and meadows, and they cast lots to determine which area went to which tribe and which tribe would inherit which area. I think of Jonah chapter 1, verse 7. They didn't know who sinned, and they said, let us cast lots that we may know who caused this evil to come upon us, and the lot fell on who? Anybody know? Jonah. Nehemiah ten thirty four. Last week we talked about it. They cast lots among the priests. And who can forget, and dare we not forget, they cast lots for the garments of Jesus. Uh, we find that also in Psalm 22 and in the Gospels. They cast lots to determine which apostle should take uh, Judas' place. And the lot fell on anybody know? Matthias, very good. So in the Old Testament and the New Testament, lot casting was a way to know the will of God. Now listen to this. Acts chapter 2. After Acts chapter 2, we no longer need to cast lots because we have the presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Remember Jesus went up? And when Jesus went up, the Holy Spirit came down to live inside of us. And now if we need to know the will of God or we need direction or we need wisdom or we need insight, well, now we don't cast lots. Now we pray and now we seek the Lord. Can somebody in this room say amen? Amen. And now we seek the Lord and we ask God, God will lead you. Whatever it is. I'm a witness. Doesn't matter what it is. He says, I'll lead you, Jesus said. The Holy Spirit, John 16, 13, in case you don't know, Jesus said, the spirit of truth, when he comes, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So we no longer need to cast lots in the New Testament, but here in our text, they cast lots to determine who will live in the city. And notice in verse 2 in your Bibles, the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell in Jerusalem. So obviously there were those who had decided to stay, and they didn't wait on the lot. They just said, I'll stay in Jerusalem, live here, and raise my family. Their hearts were convinced Jerusalem is where they needed to be, so they decided on their own to stay, and the people blessed them. But everyone else was decided by the lot. Now, when they cast lots, listen, this was saying simply, 
that they were trusting in the sovereignty of God. The word sovereignty means that God does whatever he pleases because he is God. I think of a good definition in Psalm 115.3. It's a great definition of God's sovereignty, but our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. God's sovereignty is not just one in a long list of attributes of God, like God is omniscient or God is omnipotent or God is, uh, you know, infinite or even the infinitude of God. That means that God knows no boundaries, the infinitude of God. He has no boundaries or, or the faithfulness of God or the holiness or the wisdom of God. All of these are attributes that flow out of God's sovereignty. So God in his sovereignty selected various people to live in Jerusalem. So when the lot came upon you, you changed your plans. Imagine you're living in beautiful farmland in like lizard lick or something. I don't know why I'm obsessed with lizard lick. I have got to go there. I've never been there. I'm obsessed with this place. Maybe because it was such a shock to me when I found out there was really a lizard lick. Well, you got beautiful farmland out there, and it's just rolling hills and everything, and then the lot comes upon you. Imagine, and now you got to move to downtown Raleigh. you got to change your plans. Somebody once said, you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. <laughs> Isn't that true? And think about that. But it was a blessing and a privilege to be chosen to live in the city of God by God because it was a holy task. They were chosen to live in a holy city. The city of Jerusalem is not like any city on earth. It wasn't then, and it isn't now, and it never will be. And when you go there with me, you'll know what I'm talking about. Those that have been there say amen. Not like any city you've ever been to. It feels different. The presence of God is there. Now, I know theologically God doesn't dwell in buildings made with hands. I got that. I know that. He doesn't dwell in cities. He doesn't dwell geographically. So God can be in Jerusalem and God can be here in Apex at the same time. I got that. But I also know and believe there's something very, very, very special about the city of Jerusalem. I just wish I wish I could take every one of you. I wish I could pay your way and take every one of you. Because I think we could take a leap forward in the Bible if I could take every one of you. We could take a leap forward in the scriptures. Because there's a lot of things you would get and I wouldn't have to explain it. You would just get it. Like I'm telling you now, the city of Jerusalem is like no other city on earth never was, never, it isn't currently, and never will be. And I wouldn't have to explain that to you because if you've been there, you would go, yep, I know, you're right, move on. It's that awesome majestic hard to explain hard to explain stand there on mount scopus and overlook the city stand on mount moriah go to golgotha and see the skull it's amazing so in verse 2 and uh, through 34 pardon me in verse 3 through 30 t- through 24 pardon me In verse 3 through 24 is an extensive list of names, tribal leaders, military men, priests and Levites and gatekeepers and volunteers. And I think in this humid, hot day room, 
And if I read you those names, I will put every one of you to sleep just like that. But the thing that, that, that I see, and maybe you, maybe you can relate to this, and the longer I walk with God, um, I, I, I realize more and more how much God really loves us. And, and, and even with all of our issues and all of our baggage, you know, the Bible says there's none righteous, not even one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so don't look at other people's sin and judge them. Look at your own. Don't compare people against your own standards of legalism and what is right and what is wrong. Judge people by God's standard. And I'm saying that because as you look at the Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day, by the time they are finished with the lots, Jerusalem is filled with different people with all kinds of personalities and pedigrees and families, are you listening, and skeletons in their family closet. What do you mean, Rodney? Well, at this time, the people of Israel are reduced to three tribes, Judah, Benjamin, and Levi. But these tribes have something interesting and even some sordid stories in their families. For example, in verse 6, go ahead and look at verse 6. All the sons of Perez who dwelt at Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. Now, if you study this, uh, this family of Perez, um, Perez was the result of an illegitimate relationship. His father had a relationship with his daughter-in-law, and Perez is also of the tribe of Benjamin. We know that the tribe of Benjamin is historically known, or do you know, for their perversion. And none of that is mentioned here. I think because God doesn't wipe in your face the sin of your family. Anybody glad about that? God doesn't wipe that in your face. That's not mentioned here. I think that's, and I think that's interesting that it's not mentioned here. God says, repent and keep moving. We also learn from verse six, the sons of Perez uh, were 468 valiant and chosen by God to dwell in the city of Jerusalem. Verse 10 and 12, just kind of peruse with me. We'll move quick. There were 822 priests who served the Lord, verses 10 through 12. In verse 13, the heads, the chiefs of the fathers. In verse 14, the men of valor, 128, and their overseer, uh, Zebdiel. Zebdiel was the son of great men. Verse 15 and 16, the Levites, who, those who had oversight of the business of the church. Uh, they would be like a Pastor Nelson. They had oversight of the business of the church. And then in verse 17, Matthias, the son of Micah, this guy was one who prayed. You know, I remember some time ago, I was sitting in my office thinking today, and I remember some time ago where during service, listen to this, we used to have people in the conference room back here, and they used to gather and pray during the service. And I always thought that was nice, and I always felt blessed, and I always in some way felt that power, that people were praying during the service, and actually, especially they were praying during second service, 
uh, because we had so many people here doing second service and you don't know who's coming through the doors and you don't know that everybody walking through the doors are Christian. I would be not wise to think that everybody who walks through the doors are Christians, whether it be a weekend service or even, you know, a Wednesday night service. And so there were people in that room praying. That was a valuable ministry. And if you want to be in ministry where you ultimately receive a big crown, get into prayer ministry. Because people who pray behind the scenes, they don't get the accolades from men. But God knows your name. And great is your reward in heaven. Can you say amen? amen. I think that's so awesome. You know, I want to read you this story. And, and I love, this is probably one of my favorite stories um, about the Prince of Preachers. He's my favorite preacher. Talking about the power behind ministry and prayer. Prayer is a TNT to the life of every believer in church. The Prince of Preachers, C.H. Spurgeon, by the age of 17, had a congregation number of around 7,000. In London, the Metropolitan Tabernacle was huge, and ministers and preachers and church workers were coming from all over the world to see Spurgeon and to see what the Lord was doing at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And one Sunday afternoon, a group of ministers were walking around the tabernacle, and they saw a stout man wearing a bib and overalls, and they assumed that he was a janitor. And they said, sir, would you be so kind as to show us the power plant of this beautiful structure? We'd like to see where the heating comes from, and uh, they heat such a large building. And the man says, certainly, and he led that group of ministers through the hallway, down the stairwell into the basement. They walked through a narrow corridor, and they came to a door, and they opened it up, and they said, brethren, This is the power plant of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And these guys looked in expecting to see some mighty furnace or some great heating system. But what they saw was 200 men on their knees in prayer on that Sunday afternoon, praying for the Sunday evening service that would take place in a few short hours. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a salt.